filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues, including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So I love the crest. Like I, I really like the the simplicity of it. I mean, we we kind of went after the centennial look, but we couldn't actually get the centennial crest itself. Um, right, because it wasn't trademarkable. No, uh, it, it, the centennial actually is owned by USA Rugby. Huh? Okay. Yeah, and they uh, quote unquote. I actually uh, one a, a year ago I called them. Um, I called US Soccer saying, "Why don't we have this crest?" They said, "Oh." We tried to buy it from. Uh, we licensed it from USA Rugby, and we tried to buy it. So I was like, I wonder how much they were asking for this crest, right? Like it can't be that much. And so I called and asked them why they why US Soccer and them couldn't reach a deal to use it. And they said, and I quote, US Soccer doesn't have enough money to buy this crest. Wow. And they didn't mean that they are broke. They meant that there is no amount of money on this planet that would give them let them, them give it up. Right. But, yeah, I, I was just kind of shocked that I was talking to USA Rugby about a crest that was on a soccer jersey in 2013. Uh, but I, I, I do like the jersey. I think I, the uh, – not the jersey, uh, the uh, crest. I think it's going to look pretty cool uh, going forward. This, hopefully it's not on a that training op jersey that looks like a, a Barca reject jersey. Barca reject slash top of a police car. Slash yeah, if we, especially if you turn, if, if people start twirling in those jerseys, it's going to look just like... <laughs> I think, all right, if, <laughs> if that is the jersey, and Donald, you're the man to make that this happen. You're the capo. You're the AODC guy. I want you to get everyone in the stands spinning and make the stands look like <laughs> a freaking... I, I don't know, crime scene or something. You know, like, that would with be the great. lights and everything. That that would actually be really funny. My only concern is I know how much people drink at, at these at these tailgates. <laughs> that might not be the best <laughs> idea in the world. <laughs> yeah. That's that's true. I like the, the new USA crest too. Uh it's the the font is is different. It's better than the the old US font. It says USA, which is more of how people think. People don't say U.S. It's people chant USA, USA. Um, there's no clip art, soccer ball swooshing through and with motion lines behind it. The stripes are red and not blue, which makes way more sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no weird beveled stars in it for no reason. It's it's good. I like it. Um, it's simple. I think it'll look good on a lot of different apparel beyond the jersey. Um which I'm probably more likely to buy than a U.S. jersey because Nike just won't make a U.S. jersey that looks the way it probably should look. That is red? That is red or that is the Waldo part two. Oh, man, we could we could have a whole podcast on the Waldo. We were talking about this yesterday. Yeah, we were at the game. We were talking about the Waldo, and Donald, you and I were just like talking to someone about why the Waldo is the end-all and be-all and should be the home kit forever. Mm-hmm. But it's Nike, so it won't be. 
And so instead, we're going to talk about DC United now. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm your host, Adam Taylor, joined by Jason Anderson, and this week by Donald Wine II. Uh, ben Bromley is on assignment on a beach. So we will probably have not nice things to say about him at some point. Um, we've got a good show for you tonight, despite DC United being knocked out of the Champions League. We'll talk about that, and we'll talk about DC United's MLS opener at the LA Galaxy with our good friend Josie Becker in the second segment. Before we do anything, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, so anyone that read, well, I guess this will be two days old at, at a minimum. Anyone that read the Wednesday Freedom Kicks I had to write late... Uh, into Thursday, uh, knows that I am pretty bummed out about being eliminated from the Champions League. I will always be eliminated or bummed out about being knocked out of the Champions League or the Open Cup, for that matter. Um, maybe more than is healthy. Uh, so uh, I kind of defaulted towards. Um, you're probably expecting this to be like just like Everclear in a in a giant like pint glass, but that's not where I'm going. Um, I actually went super duper fancy to try and. Um, Luxury, my problems away. Uh, so I have uh, Chumet's uh, 2015 Grand Reserve um, in a snifter. Um, uh, I went, I went for broke. I did have this already. Um, Can you hold the the snifter up? I just want to confirm this for our listeners. They can't see it, but uh, yeah, that's I, I, that's a snifter. Our our account has a picture of it. Uh, our Twitter account. So if you want to read through our timeline for two days, it's, there's probably not going to be very much in there. <laughs> Uh, between now and then, but you'll be able to see a picture of the snifter and my computer. Uh, so that's uh, actually I've kind of revealed that we uh, we recorded the show out of order. Um, <laughs> I've given away our secrets. I've given away our secrets. Jason, no one was going to pick that up until you. It's why, you, why, you have, why you have to put our business in the street, man? Nine percent ABV. That's what I do on this show. <laughs> All right, Donald, save us. What are you drinking? So uh, as we record right now, my uh, Detroit Pistons and Detroit Red Wings are currently playing on national television, which is a very rare occasion. Uh, So in honor of that, I am going with a Michigan beer. I'm taking it back to my roots and one of the pound-for-pound best beers in the world, Bell's Two-Hearted Ale. It is the greatest. There's an excellent I remember back in college in, you know, 2000 and – what, 2003, 2004, uh, before craft brew, brewing really, really exploded. Like, it was, it had obviously taken off. Bell's was was out there, and, and we had Bell's Two-Hearted in West Lafayette in Indiana. Um, and it was by far the hoppiest beer I'd ever had in college. And it was out there on the edge. And now you drink it, and it is a really mainstream beer. Mm-hmm. It is nowhere near the edge as far as hoppiness is at this point. And it's still really good, but it's just not its not an extreme kind of beer the way it was 12, 13 years ago. I mean, now we have people that are, it's like, uh, let me see if I can make a beer that is just like raw hops soaked in water. Yeah. Um, and you just have to chew on it until it's over. Um, So I will say, though, um, you guys uh, coming from the Midwest, respectively, uh, had access to Bells. We didn't get it out here until, like, you guys were both probably already over here by the time it came out to the East Coast. So Mm -hmm. um, I guess thanks for bringing it with you. I'll give you guys that credit. I actually, it was the the founder of Bells, his son, actually lives here in D.C. And I think he moved out here about six, seven years ago, and that's about when Bells started 
showing its showing his beautiful face around these parts. So I think I, I I'd love to take credit for it, but I, I'm going to give it to uh, yeah. the guy who had a little little connect a little closer connect to the to the source. <laughs> it turns out Bell Jr. is a little closer to Bell than, than Donald is. <laughs> Tonight I'm 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 standing up for for Ben, standing in for Ben, I guess. Uh, drinking a Virginia beer, Northern Lights IPA by Star Hill Brewery down in Charlottesville. It's it's a good IPA. It's it's not too far out on the extreme, but it's far enough that you know that that it's an IPA. I like it. Um, it's a very drinkable beer, and I certainly approve. Let's get to the soccer. DC United were eliminated from the CONCACAF Champions League on Tuesday night uh, with a 1-1 draw against Corretro. That made it 3-1 for Los Gallos on aggregate, uh, eliminating DC United, as I said. Goals in the fourth minute from Angel Sepulveda and the 84th minute from DC United rookie Julian Buescher provided the scoring. Donald... I'm not the only one, and Jason and I talked about this last night, so I'm, I want your opinion on this. This really seemed like a letdown performance after a promising first 70 minutes in Mexico last week. Oh, it absolutely was. And you have to start with that goal that we gave up in the fourth minute. Like When you are entering a second leg and you're down two goals and you know you can't give up any you don't turn around and give one up in the first five minutes of the game. That just doesn't give you confidence. Uh, and we knew right then and there we needed four goals to, to win. And that, I mean, three goals is already a tall task to win uh, the series, the uh, two-legged series. But to add a fourth goal to that and know that you can't give up any more after that, even though you already have, that's a confidence. that's a confidence killer. And that was really what turned the... I don't want to say the series on its head, but it turned that game uh, on its head because at that point, the team kind of felt it was over. They played hard, and they played, you know, they didn't give up. They didn't quit. But the, for all intents and purposes, that point, the game, the, the series was over. And you can't give those kind of goals up in the first four minutes when you are trying to gain some confidence, trying to get the fans behind you um, as you move forward. Um, I think that was really the the momentum uh, being sucked out of RFK in the fourth minute. Yeah, I don't think Benny turned it wholesale into uh, an extra preseason game or anything after that goal. I think he was trying to win, and he he went to some interesting tactics to to do it. When United were in possession after that goal, um, they switched to almost a almost a Christmas tree formation with. Buescher pinching really inside to join De Leon and Sarvas in central midfield and then pushing Niarco up front. Vincent, yeah. Sorry, yeah. what did I say? Buescher. Buescher. Oh, Buescher, yeah, not Buescher. Well, it, was like, it was like that later, but yeah, it was Vincent yeah. the first time. But, but Rob Vincent pinched in from the left side and Niarco went up top and Espindola dropped into um, into the hole. So I guess not really a Christmas tree formation, but but something much different than the four four one one they had been playing for the first five. Jason, what did you make of United's, you know, the the tactical shift after that goal and their attempt to create anything from that in the first half? Um, it's it's interesting. Um, it's definitely something that team that the reputation for Ben Olsen is that it's always four four two, and it never ever changes for anything. And that's it, not it's already an inaccurate read on the situation. 
Um, these were not looks we usually see, even with even with the reality that Olsen occasionally changes uh, to usually a four one three two is usually where where he goes when he makes a change. This was definitely um, a much different approach. This was some Seattle in the past has called they play four four two, but they've called their attack the amoeba because it's always changing shapes. Um, this was a little bit of that with. Um, with Patrick Niarco going very high up the field, playing basically as a right forward. Um, Spindle at times was playing as a false nine. He would he was uh, starting moves in the middle and then dropping off. Um, Vincent came inside. Rolf drifted outside. Those two, I think, they didn't really understand each other that well. I think the movement was a little confused between the two of them, which, given that Rolf missed a lot of the preseason games uh, due to injury and then... Vincent is new to the team. I think it's not too much of a surprise um, that there would be that level of confusion. Um, even when uh, Lucho Acosta came on, there were stretches of time where he was out on the left, um, and uh, we had various players drifting into the middle instead of him. Um, I think it was equal parts United trying to shake something loose, you know, changing things from the bench, but not, you know, not really changing the things that they've worked on. This looked like a team that was changing formation without having practiced that formation before. Um, I feel like uh, they did have to do something because you're down. You need four goals that, you know, the way they play normally does it is not a, this lineup will score four goals once every 20 games. It's more like a, this lineup will score four goals once a season kind of team. Um, so they had to shake something loose and, I feel like it, it was a good sign that it wasn't just like, well, let's just keep playing the way we always play and see what happens, uh, because we, I think we know what would have happened. Uh, the downside to that is you get the sort of confused look that United had where, you know, at one point, as we talked about, Adam, on the, um, the Facebook video that we did after the game, uh, at one point Vincent and Patrick Niarco were both playing right midfield for like mm-hmm. a, a solid like 45 seconds. Um, that's not how that's supposed to work. Uh I know it it did give Taylor Kemp a lane to come forward in, but the downside is you've got two guys sort of occupying one person's space, um, dragging extra defenders over there. It doesn't really help. Um, and I don't think it was because Vincent went over there thinking, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll do this, and it'll really confuse Santos. It was more, or not Santos, um, Corretero. It was more like he was already sort of sucked into the middle, and then he sort of pursued the play. It's kind of like how Sarvas ended up so high up on... Uh, the first goal in Mexico. Um, he didn't initially say, "I'm going forward to hit a cross." He got sort. He sort of took some space he should have been taking. The ball popped loose near him. He ended up pursuing it, and you know, the soccer field's only so big, and you end up sometimes in a space where you shouldn't. Um, and it's the second game in a row where United didn't really fill in that quickly. Um, but that's definitely a we're unfamiliar with each other. Um, we haven't had much time to work on shape and discipline and that sort of thing. Um, it's a, it's also a speed of thought thing um, and early season teams. And maybe this was maybe this is more than anything else why United lost uh, is that Carretero is faster of thought right now than United. Now in July August, I would think that this United team beats Carretero. Um, because they will be at least as quick uh, think as as quick thinking as uh, Corretero was, but on you know at this stage of the season it was always going to be something they were having a deficit with, and 
I think it contributed a little to the confusion, um, but I also think desperation uh, was the main trigger for the very, at times, very strange looks, though not always ineffective. Um, mm-hmm. There were moments where it really worked. There were moments where Carretero was the team that was even more confused. Um, I kind of remember being a kid and having to play my young cousin in Street Fighter 2, and she didn't learn how to control uh, the character. She just sort of furiously wiggled her thumbs over the buttons and the the, uh, controller, and her character would attack in strange ways that I was not used to from... I was used to playing people who knew what they were doing, and so you attack in a certain way, and you expect certain things from them, and this was sort of like trying to attack someone that's in a a furious panic, and you don't know whether they're going to go backwards or forwards, and nothing makes sense, and you get confused just as much as they're confused. I feel like I would have gone to the chess reference there, not because I'm actually any good at chess or have played it in the last several years, just because there's a famous example of the there was an unbeatable computer and a human finally beat it by just making random moves and confusing the hell out of the computer. It didn't know, like its rules didn't have anything for that. I played a lot more Street Fighter 2 than I played chess. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you you said it wasn't ineffective, and and you're right. DC United had 16 shots, nine on goal in this game. It wasn't that they were totally ineffective. It just it, Donald, they never felt dangerous, at least not it, for me until Acosta came on the field. Does that worry you? Because you know Acosta, he's 21, but he's he's a little guy. He's good at avoiding contact, but he's never played against Nigel De Young, so. I'm a little worried that we might be without him for at least a few games this year, and I'm a little worried at this point of what that's going to look like. Yeah, so the shape that Jason was alluding to and and you were alluding to in the first half, especially the first half, but also the second half, it it wasn't good. Like it, It seemed like at times players were playing in several different positions that they should not have been playing in. Like, for instance... Fabian Espindola, at one point, we were keeping track of where he was. He was at uh, striker, uh, left mid, right mid, center defense, center back, left back, and right back. Uh, I think the only position he wasn't in at one point was keeper. Um, and, and Or center forward. Or center forward, where he's <laughs> supposed to be. Um, he, he seemed like he was everywhere, but, but also what that did was there's a lot of times where Queretaro was able to counter because Taylor Kemp would go up on the flank or Sean Franklin would go up on the flank. And if they got if they got the dispossessed, then there was nobody behind them that was supposed to be because, of, because somebody had rotated into a position that they probably shouldn't have been in. And, and I think that's something that will need to be worked on the first couple weeks of the season. And, and it's going to be interesting to see how we do uh, better against uh, the Galaxy in that regard. But uh, getting to Acosta... I thought he was tremendous last night. I, I, you know, he came in, he provided a spark, and you're right. It is going to be very concerning if there is points where he's not in the game. If, you know, he looking at looking at him on the field, it, it was really funny. I just kept making jokes about him being a third grader or a fourth grader because he literally looks that tiny on on the field. What does that mean? That means he's going to get roughed up against some of these bigger defenders. Um, they're just going to push him around and trying to get him off of his game. Now, he's quick and skilled enough to get out of a lot of it, and he did that last night uh, with pretty good uh, pretty you know, good ease. But if he's out for a couple games, where does, our, where does our creativity come from? Where does our attack come from? Where does our 
where does the 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 quarterback? Who's the quarterback of the offense? And last night it was him for the last you know 15, 20 minutes of the game. I'm not sure who that is. Uh, if he's not you know sitting there behind uh, Fabi Despinola at the you know second striker slash center attack mid. And Donald mentioned that that Spindolo was was really all over the place. Jason, do you want to see kind of a less is more approach from him, where he trusts his teammates to to get the ball forward, or are you okay with him freelancing in a taking the term free roll to its logical extreme? Uh, I think he's got to come more towards the first part. Um, I think, especially in a team that where. I mean, last year when it was a Spindle and Rolf, we already weren't really playing with a center forward, but at least there were two forwards that would occasionally fill that space. Um, if a Spindle wants to drop beneath the midfield and take the ball off of Sarvas uh, and then try and start the attack, uh, in when Acosta's on the field, it, that can't happen um, because at that point you're leaving Acosta leading the line, um, and if you it limits your options. It means your option to play him into a dangerous position is to either find him defeat and then hope that he can hold the ball up long enough or, or beat someone on the dribble, which he can do a lot, but he's not going to do often. I mean, it's not going to be a like 80 to 90% sort of thing. Um, or you play him in behind and see if he can outrun somebody, but you get predictable very quickly um, when you're down to two options. Um, I think a Spindola does need to start trusting the guys around him a little more, um, regardless of whether it's... Um, Acosta, or De Leon, um, you know, Julian Buescher. Um, Sarvas, obviously, I think he's going to stay on the field. Um, I think he's the the guy that we're going to be using uh, in possession. I think he's going to be the player that racks up our most... Uh, uh, he's going to take Kitchen's job as far as the player who makes the most passes and who's on the ball the most for United. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a downside to that, and, and we already saw Corretto over two legs adjust from being surprised by that fact to making sure that he had a rougher game in the second leg. Um, I haven't looked at, I haven't, I, I should say, I, I shouldn't say I haven't looked at his numbers. I haven't counted them because the only way you can find passing numbers for the Champions League uh, that I know of is to go onto the chalkboard of the game on MLS soccer and literally count the the completed passes and uh, missed passes. But I, I didn't was, count the completed passes, yeah. but he did have, I think, in the first leg, he had five misplaced five, yeah. passes. He had seven in this game, so not okay, noticeably not, worse, which is weird because I thought he looked a lot worse in no, this I game mean, than he did in Mexico. And, and he I, managed I two agree. key passes, though, uh, among his completed passes. Yeah, and, and he did that in the first leg as well. Um, I think he, he started taking more risks. Um, I mean, you give up a goal in the fourth minute, you need four goals. Of course he's going to take more risks. Um that's a, a positive, but I think if if you've got Sarvas in that role, you really don't need a Spindola coming back to help him out. Um, if it were a younger player, I could see the logic. Even though you still, as a coach, would be telling him you've got to stay, you've got to stay up high. You can't make, you can't drop it underneath when we're already playing. We're playing a short attacking midfielder slash second forward. Um, we're playing. We're not playing with out and out wingers. They're more wide midfielders, so there's it's not someone high up enough to get in behind. Um, so if Espindola drops off the front line, we're really not even playing with a forward at all, um, which sounds like fun. I know um, people fell in love with that team, uh, the Roma team that had uh, Totti playing that kind of role, and they love seeing 
especially before Suarez arrived in Barcelona. They love seeing a team that didn't play with an out-and-out forward. Those teams are a lot better at soccer. What they're pulling off is is like a high-wire act. Um, and if you, I mean, yes, there are people on Earth that can do high-wire act, but there most people can't. Most people, if you ask them to walk out on a high-wire, they would fall to their deaths. And that's kind of the problem United runs into. They're not good enough to play without someone in that space. They've got to have someone occupying it. Um, Espindo's not really cut out for the physical job there, um, so he's got to find a way to come off the center backs and be available to play defeat and then find people rather than dipping into the midfield because then we end up with basically a four a four six zero, um, and we're just it's not that's not going to work for this team. Yeah, we mentioned that uh, Lucho Acosta came off the bench in this one rather than starting. Um, he came in, I think, just before the hour mark. Uh, was rested from the start because he had flown from Carretero to Buenos Aires to collect his family and personal effects, essentially, to move them to the U.S. And it turns out that's a 14-hour flight if you're going direct from Buenos Aires to Dulles International Airport. And uh, I don't think there are that many direct flights, so he probably had a layover in Houston or Miami or something on the way which means it's an even longer flight, and your body has to recover from that. And I, I personally don't fault Ben Olsen for letting him go pick up his family to get them to move to the U.S. Um, because soccer players, it turns out, are human beings. <laughs> they are people. And, I mean, we should remember, Acosta's 21, and he's yeah. got a child, and he's trying to collect them from a different country to go to a new country that he, I assume, has never been to and doesn't speak the language, and he's trying to move them for his his livelihood. Uh, that's not... I mean, and he was already about halfway down there anyway. Exactly. Right. He was down... He was an eight-hour flight from D.C. anyway. Right. We should remember how it was to be 21. Like, yeah, I, I didn't I, have a family when I was 21. I I could barely show up to my easy job at the time. I had a job in a mall at 21, and I could barely get myself in the door in time to not get fired, um, much less move to, let's say, Slovakia and also be a father and a husband. I Yeah, I, I definitely would have ended up uh, losing out on some of those. I don't know which ones. The job, almost certainly. <laughs> uh, I would have been fired from that Slovakian uh, framing place. Yeah, um, I mean... You make that flight, and it's it's hard to start a game and play 90 minutes after that. And Acosta was getting tired at altitude last week. He is the centerpiece of this attack, like we talked about. And you can't risk hurting him in, you know, kind of a quixotic quest to come back from, from this yeah. kind of deficit. It's not giving up on the tie on the series. It's being realistic about what you have. And if you told the player, he could go get his family. You don't then say, no, you can't. We need right. you here. You don't break a Let's... promise with somebody three weeks into their joining your club. Right, right. Um, that's that's and, really and short-sighted also, to do that. Yeah, and you also don't, like, even if you are you don't care at all about the player's life off the field, which is stupid, um, you should yeah. also take note of, like, playing him in this situation probably risks injury uh, significantly. Um, you're talking about muscular injuries, so, of course, you're going to give the guy a rest rather than potentially lose him for the first month of the season when you're already without Bill Hamid. You're already adjusting to a brand-new midfield. Uh, 
there is a lot going on that it, it's more than just one game. You don't necessarily roll the dice on starting the season with four or five losses before he comes back. That's a terrible plan. And, and we've seen that Acosta is very, very talented. He's a, uh, maybe the X factor the, the attack hasn't had in the last few years. So he's not a player that you just want to roll the dice on and say, no, you got to play this one and then risk he's unhappy or he's hurt or both. Um, that's a terrible way to start off a, a relationship with a player that should be very important for United. So let's talk about that central midfield that's going to line up behind Acosta. For the for these two games against Corretoro, it was Nick De Leon moving into the middle and, and Marcelo Sarvas. With Buescher coming on and looking pretty good in his limited minutes and scoring a Galazzo uh, in that time as well, there are people calling for him to start, um, mostly to start over Nick DeLeon, who is still learning that central position. He doesn't have the advantage of having played there very much. I think his skill set works for it, but he's got a learning curve to, to move up. Add to that Marcus Halstey, who looked worse than DeLeon did in his substitute minutes, uh, at least to my eye. Um, and he's still trying to build fitness, I think but he, he didn't look good, and he, he didn't look great last year either. Donald, they're basically four guys in, in that central midfield vying for two spots. Which two do you want to see there against L.A.? So I was thinking about this earlier today, and I think the preferred pairing is you have um, uh, Sarvis, and I want to see what the kid Busha can do. Um, with you know, with the starting role, I, I I I don't know if he's ready, but I think he presents the best option at this point. Um, I'm not sure that Nick is uh, ready to take on that role. He you know he as you said he's very new to the role and and it shows um, in his play. I think bringing him on uh, as an option on his preferred wing um, would make him be a better player. I want to see him play at his best, and if his best is out in the wing and, and that's in you know super sub-minutes, then I'd rather that than to force him onto the field in a position that is uh, still kind of foreign to him. So uh, I, I, want to, I want to say I'll go with Sarvis and, uh, and Buescher um, on Sunday um, if, if I were the coach, but uh, uh, I, I say that knowing that I don't quite know how that will work out, but I'm interested to see how it would. See, I like I like Nikki in in the middle, and I want to see the experiment have time to to work in two games before everyone is ninety minutes fit is doesn't constitute a full experiment for me. And so, people calling for an end to the experiment as if it's been a long time uh, and we, and it's run its course. I think those voices are misguided. That said, I also want to see Julian Buescher in that role. So I'm I'm a little bit torn. Um, Jason, what do you, who do you want to see start in the middle? Um, I think it's going to come down. I think in the early part of the season, it's going to come down to who United is playing at the time. Um, for the home opener against Colorado, I think playing Buescher makes a lot more sense because of what he can give you going forward. The 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 threat, of, of, as far as I can tell, um, in his preseason play as well as the goal last night, um, he's a threat to score uh, from long range. He opens teams up. Um, but when you're playing at L.A. 
and they're a team that can't really defend very well, but can attack because of the amount, just the pure amount of skill they've got, and the fact that they play on close to the maximum size field surface that you can have in MLS. Um, I do think you have to be a little cautious. We've seen Buescher make at least one pretty mm-hmm. critical uh, defensive mistake um, against uh, Carretero in the first leg. So um, it's one of those situations where it, where it's going to... I, I think the whole front six, I mean, Sarvas is going to start based on the way he's played. Um, Acosta, as long as he's healthy, is going to play. Espindola is going to play. And then there's three other spots, and two of them are wide. One of them's in the middle, but you've got De Leon can play all three. Um, Lamar Nagel hasn't gotten a minute yet because of um, his cup-tied obligation, so he's going to be in the mix on the wings, um, or maybe even up front, though that leaves you with Sarvas and Acosta playing in the middle, which isn't really going to work. Um, it, there's a lot for Olsen to sort out. I don't think it's... it's it. The central midfield question bleeds into the entire midfield and attack question uh, at this point. Um, De Leon's certainly going to be better defensively than Buescher, um, but then... Against the Galaxy, do you try and defend and hope that a lesser attacking side can take advantage? Or do you go for broke and say, we're going to attack the Galaxy and force them to defend in the hopes that their attack doesn't make up for it? Um, It's a really tricky question because either could work and either could go very poorly. Um, But I will say that Buescher, in the minutes he had in the second leg did about as much as you can do to put yourself forward and say, I should be getting starts uh, pretty soon. Because as much as Acosta is a, a, a game-changer for United, they still do need that that passer that can break through the lines, not not on the dribble, but someone that can break through the lines with their passing. Um, De Leon's not really that guy. He's going to be a connector rather than someone that's playing people through. Um, Sarvas can do that, but he tends to do it from deeper positions, and longer passes are just automatically going to be more difficult to pull off um, with accuracy. So uh, Buescher offers something that we don't really have from anyone else uh, in the lineup right now uh, that's made the bench uh, at least in the, in the 18 of the two games. Um, so that's that's something that's uh, it's going to be, I think, kind of up in the air. I think um, we've talked about this being a work in progress, and I've gone on other podcasts and said this will be a work in progress, and... I think it's going to be like that for a while. I, I do think the opportunity there um, is there, though, for Buescher to go forward and uh, force Olsen to keep him in the lineup. Um, and that would be the ideal situation, I think. Um, I, I, I guess the main thing, though, is that whether it's De Leon, whether it's Buescher, uh, someone come forward and win that job and not be like, well, you know, this guy is the, the, the ideal, I guess. Instead, I would really like it to say, like, there is no other choice. You have to put this player on the field. Yeah, if the the sooner this stops being a debate between Buescher's potential and attacking ability and Nick DeLeon's more... his more conservative positioning or his his better base of fundamentals, the, the sooner one of them wins the job, the better. And... Uh, at this point, it who knows. Um, hopefully, it's not a case where somebody loses the job. Hopefully, it's a case where someone just comes out and just blows us away and wins the I, job. I will say that I would, I pretty much fully expect it to be De Leon again in the middle against LA. Um, we don't have too many examples of Olsen deciding to go full on attacking against a team that is 
super attack heavy and terrible defending, I think, on especially on the road. Um, so yeah, look for DeLeon this weekend, but you know, when the Rapids come to RFK, that might be an opportunity for, for Buescher because the Rapids are going to come in and sit everyone behind the ball because that's what they do. Also, their lineup won't make sense because they're the Rapids. Exactly. <laughs> and that is a perfect spot to end this segment. We will be right back with Josie Becker from MLSsoccer.com, so stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and yeah. Not, and you never, ever use the term correctly? Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do. Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, they have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, fine. So Ehrlich Law Office, it's a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. His, one of their, their attorneys, Ben, uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So guys, for a free consultation, go to Ehrlich Law Office dot com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. We are now joined by the one and only Josie Becker, who is going to help us preview DC United's uh, league opener at the LA Galaxy Sunday, 10 p.m. on Unimas. It'll cap off a big day of 10 MLS games, all on Sunday. Josie, welcome back to the show. Hi, everyone. Thanks for uh, having me back. I'm always thrilled to do this podcast. Well, I'm, I'm sure the drink in front of you has nothing to do with it. What are you drinking, by the way? I am drinking a uh, 2013 uh, Syrah by Eberly Winery. It is very delicious. That's two weeks in a row we've had guests in California drinking nice I'm only entirely jealous. <laughs> it's what we do. Uh, I think we actually got this one from the winery, so that was a good day. Yeah. We... <laughs> Sorry, Ben. Virginia wineries are, are fine and all, but they're they're not up to snuff when you look at California. No. And Ben's not here, so I can say that without him <laughs> protesting. Ben can't defend himself. Are uh, there Virginia guess... wineries? Is that a thing? They are. They are. They are. are. Yes. They are quite they're, delicious. They're... They're more like Austrian wines, if you... Anyway. I think, I think we should also bring up the fact that Ben has previously defended Bud Light Lime on this podcast, so we can't... <laughs> yeah, that just, that's right out. All of his opinions don't matter. And now I feel bad for repping Virginia beer tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Josie, let's talk about your Galaxy. Um, they have allowed... Granted, one of them was a preseason game, but there have been a couple of high-profile, quote-unquote, for this point in the season, four-goal four goal allowed it's in preseason against Seattle and then uh, on Tuesday night against Santos Laguna is defense something that Bruce Arena actually has to worry about this year well I mean there was a big shakeup 
defensively for the Galaxy, obviously Omar Gonzalez has uh, left for greener pastures. Um, so that's a big adjustment. Um, and the way that they chose to adjust was bringing in you know, some high-profile uh, aging European stars. Um, and they didn't really get here um, early. They got here a little late. So it's going to take them some time to kind of fold things in, figure out where everyone's going to go. Robbie Rogers has been moved to the other side. Uh, A.J. De La Garza is now the ranking veteran. Um, and you know, he has to adjust to now being a leader. You know, He's kind of doing what Omar was doing for the last eight years. Um, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a work in progress. So how do you fit all those stars into the team. Ashley Cole is obviously going to play left back. Steven Gerrard's going to be somewhere in the middle. Nigel de Jong's going to be somewhere in the middle. Um, beyond that, you have to figure out a way to get Jesse Zardes and Giovanni Dos Santos and Robbie Keane all together. And granted, Giovanni and, and Zardes aren't aging or anything, but there are a lot of pieces that seem like they have to be on the field, and there's no obvious way to put them all together, especially with Juninho out of the mix and down in Tijuana. Right. Yeah, he also left. Everyone just left. It was a big leaving prime time in the history of the galaxy. Uh, I mean, the big debate right now is, you know, do you put Zardes up top? Do you pull him as a midfielder? Um, he's kind of proven that as a winger, he just isn't really up to snuff. Uh, but, you know... They're kind of trying to work out. Like he's obviously playing there a lot with the national team. Uh, there's a lot of kind of balls in the air uh, as far as they work out. Robbie Keane, obviously, he's got his role. He's going to be there forever until the history and the end of time. Um, so I think it's just going to be a matter of figuring out uh, who who partners with them, who works best in that spot, uh, and then the central midfield is kind of already taken care of. It's kind of worked itself out, even with Juninho. Uh, so who does it look like will start at forward next to Robbie Keane and who will start on the wing between Zardes and Dos Santos? So so far it looks like uh, it's going to be Dos Santos up top with Robbie Keane um, and the uh, other winger. I don't know. Uh, We'll, we'll have to see. It's a wait-and-see thing. I think it's going to be adjusting a lot in the first month. Jason? Um, actually, I'm glad you mentioned the other winger because I was going to ask, uh, a lot of, almost all the talk was about the big names from Europe, but the one of the starting roles went to Emmanuel Boateng, who got virtually no attention at all during the preseason. Uh, tell, for our listeners that weren't obsessively following Galaxy, which is probably most of them, um, can you tell us a little bit about Boateng? He's fast. He he runs like really fast. Um, that's all I've really noticed of him so far. And that speed's definitely an asset. Uh, and you know, kind of makes sense why he why he's being used. You know, he'll definitely spread teams out. He'll uh, make teams go wide, and hopefully that'll open things up uh, in the middle for for Robbie Keane. Uh, didn't see too much as far as how he can be more of a scoring threat. Um, but, you know, it's obviously going to... Bruce Arena has been looking for that winger for, I mean, as long as he's been the head coach of the Galaxy, and he's had a couple of people move through, but it's never been 
a permanent role that he's got. Okay, I have my winger. He's my forever guy. Um, so we'll see if Boateng can, can end up being that. He's definitely got a lot that he brings to the table. Uh, and I also, now to go to shift gears back to the big names, um, Ashley Cole missed the game last night to go back to Rome uh, for the birth of a child. Um, I read today that he's supposed they expect him back to play against DC, but let's assume that at 35 he's maybe not leaping off. He's not maybe in a Robbie Keane level of commitment as far as like jumping out of the plane and immediately starting a game um, the, the mo- in the moments after. Who do you think comes in at left back if Cole has to take a rest? I mean... It's a really interesting scenario due to the fact that you know they moved Robbie Rogers and then they jettisoned uh, Dan Gargan just before the the compliance deadline. So that's a good question. And luckily I'm not Bruce Arena and I don't have to make a team sheet. So I'm just going to play the fifth. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> uh, I guess my my... my... My final question would have to be, um, with some of the other signings that are there, do you think that there's a, a big chance that Arena's resting? And I mean, Cole, obviously, there's a legitimate reason to rest him, but um, what about uh, Steven Gerrard doesn't exactly look enthusiastic about running. Um, he might not want to run again this week. Um, is there any chance of a some big names maybe missing out on this game just because of the the fact that it's so early in the year? I mean, not for the opener, right? Like, okay, you know, maybe if this was a, a Wednesday uh, two weeks from now, sure, you could see resting Gerard and giving him some uh, some time to catch up. But, you know, for the opener, CCL definitely it skews with everybody's schedule. DC played on the same day that the Galaxy played, so they're both in the same boat. You know, they're both kind of dealing with, how do we how do we recover in time? And there's plenty of time. It was only a Tuesday, so I think you know they'll definitely be involved. Um, as to Gerard and his running ability, um, <laughs> you know, he's old. He, he <laughs> <laughs> like does any, everyone remember like David Beckham? Like he came and he was 32, and he's like, I'm David Beckham. But like he was all like going off to other countries and stuff, and that was his big deal. And then he finally took it seriously, and he won a championship. But like he won it running at like three quarter speed the whole entire time, and everyone was like, oh, but he still does amazing free kicks. It's fine. It's David Beckham, and so like. That's sort of Gerard right now, which is weird because, you know, he's kind of a holding midfielder, and that's an important job. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of what David Beckham played, too. He just didn't play defense. He was just, you know, he was going to play in that area, and then everyone else got to figure out how to work around the fact that he can't run. And it worked. And so that's where Nigel De Young comes in this year. Exactly. See, you guys get me. Are we, are we pronouncing it with a hard or soft J? De De Young, yeah. De Jong, De Jong. I've always pronounced it I, De Young. Okay. Yeah, like I think that's how it is. Just say it and let it fill your mouth, and like De Jong. This does not sound right. So like, let's all move on. I think I think I might I think I might start pronouncing it that way if the Galaxy start to struggle, uh, because it'll be like they actually signed some guy named De Jong. <laughs> <laughs> they signed the wrong guy. Yeah, this dude has a man who's still very guy. good at martial arts moves in the middle of the field, but 
maybe not at soccer. Right. He's actually just a martial artist. <laughs> From, like, Chicago. Like, Daejong. <laughs> the Bears, Daejong. <laughs> Donald? Yeah, so I wanted to focus in quickly on the... Uh, we we It's been a year since DC United has played LA Galaxy. They came here last year late in March, uh, and now it's the first game of the season uh, where we're facing them on the road. Um, tell, I mean, it's been a, a very different team than the one we saw last year. Who, of all these signings, all these great players, who is the player that DC United should be most fearful of at this point? Ooh, that is a, that's, a, that's a good one. I think it's got to be De Jong at this point. Um, you know, he's definitely got a huge responsibility, and with Janino leaving, and that being such a big, like, part of how the Galaxy worked for so many years, like, that's kind of a make-or-break spot. Um, you know, <clears throat> Gerard definitely, obviously, is a huge component of the attack going forward, but I think so much of how the Galaxy are actually going to score goals has more to do with uh, Giovanni Dos Santos and figuring out how he can play with Robbie Keane, which is also a huge uh, work in progress. The Galaxy are, you know, still figuring out a lot of those things. So it'll be interesting. And what part of that puzzle do you think is not ready yet? Like, what's the if if I'm if we're Coach Ben Olsen, who are we going after uh, in this lineup to try and kind of put goals on the board? I mean, evidenced by the two four nothing score lines, like just shoot at Dan Kennedy, and like <laughs> I think that you should attack the goal. That just would really be shots. my goal. Would just be take shots and see if they go into the net, and then they might score. That seems like a very good option. You know, we haven't really done that as much in the preseason, as well. So maybe we can try that on Sunday. It's a idea. bold stronger strategy. Like bold just... strategy, Cotton. We'll see if it pays off for us. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, it, it's working for Steph Curry, right? Right. Just take exactly. shots. Just take some shots. That's the, you know? that's the game plan. Just take shots. What's the worst that could happen? You miss? Like, oh, no, that's never happened before in soccer. Like, just take some shots. <laughs> Donald actually stole my question about how to game plan. So what else, do we need, what else do we need to know about the... Uh, the Galaxy coming into this one. We know, I figure they're going to play 4-4-2 and they're going to try to rely on their stars, but beyond that, what what should be we be on the lookout for on Sunday? Yeah. I mean, if, I'd say for looking back at like the last seven years, like this is probably the most mystery the Galaxy have had going into a season. Like Usually everyone's kind of, okay, we know who these guys are and like, yeah, we're the favorite for the cup, of course, whatever. Um, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. that's not the case. <laughs> I'm just, you know how it's been. You know how it's gone down. Like I didn't personally pick them every single year, but it's just like one of those like you you check off like your list, your preseason list. Like okay, report on signings, say the Galaxy are going to win, um, and then tell her when to watch it on TV. Like that's just the checklist, and that's not the case this year, <laughs> which which you know um, is uh, is is interesting, but. Uh, can it all come together? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. You guys are in a situation where the Galaxy, on paper, some people are saying it looks like the best uh, team in MLS history on paper. It's certainly the most pedigreed team is 
pedigree a verb? Can I use it as a verb? You it's did. The, the team with the strongest pedigree in MLS history on paper, but I I don't see how it works on the field, and, and I'm curious. Do you think it will come together on the field? You can keep pressing me to actually answer a question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I have doubts. I have legitimate doubts on to whether this actually ends up working as a team. Um, having said that, Bruce Arena has done some incredible things in years where you know, the Galaxy were in last place for a while and then kind of managed to put things together and I think won a title. I think that was 2012 that I'm thinking of. Uh, so it's it's a, it's a hard one to bet against Bruce Arena, and at this point, like that's what you're kind of betting on. Like every all the other elements are kind of shifted and are different, but it's like it's still Bruce Arena. So like he'll probably pull it off because he usually does. All right, Josie, thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Why don't you uh, tell our listeners where to find you online? Okay, so I'm uh, on Twitter at Josie Becker FC. Um, I write a, a Monday morning recap column for the uh, MLS Fantasy. Um, I didn't ask me any fantasy questions, um, but yeah. I mean, we got time. If you want fantasy <laughs> questions, we can ask. Um, Wait, I have I have an actual question about that. Okay. Really quick, is there any good reason why you should have a fantasy team that doesn't have Sebastian Giovinco on it? No, and here's why. Uh, okay. So, like, not only is was he like incredible last season, but two big things have happened that made him make him essentially indispensable this year. Um, one, the rosters are shorter by two people, so there's more money to go around. So there's not that like, oh, I can only have one eleven dollar guy, and then like that handicaps the rest of my team. No, like you can. Ha- it's a lot more money to play around with, so he's not a burden. And then secondly, they've changed a lot of the bonus point rules to where now, you know, shots attempted, uh, having a good pass percentage, fouls suffered, these things can kind of count for some bonus points. And like, he has the potential to be worth even more than he was last year when he was just like a fantasy god. So at this point, I mean, I think it's about like 80% of owners have Giovinco. If you're in that 20%, like, I don't know how you're planning on making up those points. Like, it's not magic. It's just put Giovinco on your team. It's all you can, you just have to do it. Yeah, in in last year, even as the most expensive player in the game, he still was the best value in the game. Yeah, yeah. At the yeah, same when, time, when you when you put his, when you do a quick little math with his points against dollars, like he is worth every single penny and is actually mm-hmm. a bargain. Like, it's one of those. I remember I took an econ class once, and they're like, "Michael Jordan is underpaid." And I'm like, how is Michael Jordan underpaid? But when you actually look at like what he contributed and like how much he was worth in sales and everything, like he actually deserved a much bigger piece of the pie than he ever got. And like that's Giovinco. Like the game should value him at like twenty dollars, but like that's <laughs> the game doesn't do that. Like the game just doesn't have that built into it. He's at the peak of what the game will even really allow at this point. So. And, I, and then it's going to go up. He's going to be like a $15 player by midseason. So so don't make... Look, what you're telling me specifically right now is when I make my team in the next day or so, don't wait on Giovinco. Yes, that, that, that value is only going to go up. And when he is 
completely indispensable. I mean, especially if you're on in a head-to-head league, like you're just gonna be going up against him over and over, and you need him on your team. I don't know how to stress it's, this enough. It's it's a weird situation. Like, I'm more emphatic. You would you would actually <laughs> end up uh, like it's like playing ten on ten. Like both teams are just going to have Giovinco, and then the rest of your players get to determine whether you win or not. Exactly. You just—it's just one of those things that 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 is a spot on your team, and you choose the other ten however you will. But you have to have your Giovinco spot, otherwise you're just handicapping yourself. Yeah, the weeks that Toronto FC buy are just going to be low-scoring weeks. <laughs> it's just going to be sad for fantasy players ever. It's like, why is the average score 14 points lower this week? <laughs> oh, BB. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll, we'll uh, get Jovinko. That's all I can say. <laughs> fantasy rule one get Jovinko. Mm-hmm. That's true. Is there a fantasy rule two, or is it really just get Jovinko and then do what you want? <laughs> rule two is that the rule changes make uh, defensive midfielders more valuable than they were in the past. So don't overlook your Dax McCarty's, etc. Right. That seems like as good a place as any to leave it. Josie, thank you again for coming on the show and talking about the galaxy and about fantasy. Uh-huh. Uh, at Josie Becker FC on Twitter, writing uh, about fantasy on Mondays for MLSsoccer.com. Anything else we should know before you get out of here? Uh, that I'm adorable. It's true. <laughs> Confirmed. I'll Thanks see you guys again. later. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter, at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu for the website. Uh, send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. We are on SoundCloud, mostly, though, when you're at the bar on Sunday to watch the game Sunday night. Make sure you tell a friend about the podcast. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Josie Becker, for Donald and Jason. I'm Adam. We'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. <laughs>